Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, January 24th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words on my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you always wanted to tell someone something but didn't know how to do it? Well, this is the perfect site for you. This website is your home for all of your revenge needs. So you never had a chance to get revenge on your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend? Your current spouse lied to you when he said that he would never cheat on you? You know what the saying, don't get mad, get even. Get revenge on people who have done you wrong. We stand ready to help you get revenge and let these individuals know exactly what you think of them. Your identity is never divulged, never. Just one of the examples of some of the revenge websites that I found on the internet recently. Uh, Some of the services that they offered are kind of funny and harmless, like certificates of unappreciation, uh, fake parking tickets with insults printed on them that you can place on certain people's cars, um, a dozen dead roses, or a dozen dead stems when he doesn't even deserve dead flowers. (laughs) Fake winning lottery tickets. One site had 42 ideas on how to get back at an ex-partner, including such categories as his phone, his email, his manhood, his clothes, his car, his house, his mail, his body, his computer, and one that simply said super glue. And then there were the more serious revenge ideas that were being offered, services. Using false documentation to apply someone for numerous credit cards, an act that would be detrimental to their credit score. A way to have someone's bank accounts closed remotely. Sending faked forged checks back to someone's employer so it looks like they were forging checks to themselves, thereby getting them fired. Hiring an agency to break up your ex's new relationship, no questions asked. One site would even create a website for you using, quote, a secure offshore and untraceable location so you can expose, humiliate, and crush your enemy. You will have a whole team of revenge specialists working for you, helping you to get the ultimate revenge, all for the bargain price of $315 U.S. Then there was this site. The Revenge Guy. Life is too short to not get even. Sponsored by Walt Disney World. (laughs) Unforgettable happens here. Yikes. It's pretty shocking what you can find if you look hard enough on the internet. But it told me one thing for sure. There are a lot of hurting people out in the world. I'd like you to watch the opening few minutes of... uh, Rob Bell did this video series called NUMA. Very short uh, series, 7 to 12 minutes each, about some faith issue. This one is called Luggage. I'd like us to watch the first about two and a half minutes of this film. Let's watch. I ran into this guy that I know the other day whose whose wife has left him for another man. And uh, this guy, he's, he's like still wearing his wedding ring, and he's got kind of the hopeful, you know, hey, we're going to make it through this uh, kind of feeling. And, and he, he's trying to kind of convince himself it's going to be okay, but it just doesn't look like she's coming back. And this other friend of mine, she's telling me that, like, uh, she doesn't really have the same kind of beliefs as her family. 
And every time she goes to a family reunion, she said they all just turn on her. And they said they, she's like, they just get mean and, and angry. And she says, it just gets ugly really fast. And she leaves in tears every time. It's like everyone I know has wounds. And some are small, kind of petty, like, you know, you just need to get over it. But, but, but a lot of people, they're big and serious and deep wounds. I was talking to this girl I know the other day, this friend of mine, and partway through our conversation, she just says, she's like, you know what, I was raped. It, it's like... It's like we could speculate why all this happens and why people do these kinds of things. And we could try to figure it out forever. But I think what we want, what we want is to be free from this, don't we? It's like we want to be alive and, and healthy and, and whole. I mean, I don't want what somebody else did to me to, like, determine what my life is going to be like. Do you? Because sometimes it's, like, big things and sometimes it's small things. I mean, maybe for you it's just like... A, an off-handed comment by somebody you don't even know, but maybe it was somebody that you really loved or that you still love and, and they left you. Or like maybe like just a business partner who took the money and ran or a relative who abused you or a friend who like turned on you. And, and it's like you try not to think about it, but... But then if you're like me, it's, then you end up thinking about it more than ever. And it's like we want to put this stuff behind us, but, but how? Or have you had, ever had this happen? It's like you think you're over it, you think you're okay, you think it's in the past, and then you either run into the person or you run into something that reminds you of them and what they did to you. And then it all comes back like, like worse than ever. And it's like you thought you were over it, but now you're more into it than ever. And the wound is like reopened and it hurts more than ever. And then it becomes a, a day or, or a week or ten years later, and now it's become like a part of you. It's like you can't shake it and can't leave it behind. And so then eventually what happens is revenge becomes our only hope, and we aren't free. Everyone has wounds, and some of us have some really deep ones. That's what today's message is about, forgiving the hard stuff. This is our third week in our series, The Gift of Forgiveness, and if, uh, if this is your first time or you missed the last two weeks, you can listen to the first two on our website at pumchurch.com. It may go without saying, but I think we need to say it. Life is unfair. In his book, The Art of Loving, Lewis Smead states, there are only two genuine options when you have uh, been hurt for some reason you did not deserve. He says it's either uh, revenge or forgiveness. Any other way of responding to being hurt is really denying the situation. Vengeance is a passion to get even. But the reason that getting even doesn't make life more fair is because it never actually happens. It doesn't. The reason we can't get even is that the victim and the offender never weigh pain on the same scale. One always feels behind in the exchange of pain. That's where they can be so, these incredibly long feuds between individuals or families or entire races of people. I mean, think Hatfield and McCoys and Hutus and Tutsis, the Bloods and the Crips. You name it, no real progress is ever made towards true healing when you're always trying to get back at someone who's hurt you. If we have to get even, we're doomed to this exchanging wound for wound, blood for blood, pain for pain forever. And it just becomes this perpetual pain. 
Plus, there's a spiritual aspect to our quest for revenge. Rob Bell says this, Revenge on the deepest level is like saying to God, I don't trust you to deal with this because I don't know what you're going to do. I want to be in control of this. I actually think I can do your job better than you can, God. Forgiveness is no magic wand. It doesn't guarantee that suddenly everything's going to be more fair between two people, but it does leave open the window of opportunity. Revenge always makes things more unfair than it was before. At least forgiveness sometimes leaves room for healing. And that's what it's all about. In fact, most of the time, the healing that needs to come is for the person who's been hurt, not for the person that you think needs to be forgiven. Forgiving is a healing action. We all need more healing in our lives. Our scripture reading for today uh, came from the very end of quite a lengthy section in the book of Genesis. It's the saga of Joseph. If you have your Bibles with you or you want to grab the pew Bible that's under the, the seat in front of you, I invite you to open to the very first book of the Bible. The last 13 chapters of Genesis deal with Joseph and his story. It's, it's amazing. It starts on chapter 37. And uh, we meet this scrawny 17-year-old kid who's a shepherd and a snitch. I mean, the very first action that we hear about him in the story, the narrator says he brings back a bad report about his brothers. Verse 3, Genesis 37. Now Israel, Israel was another name for his father Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a a long robe with sleeves. Other translations say a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of them, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. That's strong language for the Bible, right? The brothers hate Joseph so much they can't even say a nice word to him. We also discover that Joseph has been gifted by God with the ability to have these amazing dreams and to understand what they mean, which in and of itself is not a problem. It's a great gift to have. The problem comes when he dreams that his entire family, his brothers and his parents, bow down to him in submission. And they're all gathered around the breakfast table the next morning. He's like, oh, I had this great dream. I can't wait to tell you. You're all going to serve me. And of course, his brothers got up and they hugged him. Oh, we love you. We love hearing your dreams. No, they hated it. It says they hated him even more. The reality is this is a young kid who is blessed by God, but he's got a lot of relational and personality issues to deal with. He's got a lot of growing up to do. Now, it's an amazing story, and I commend it to your reading. Later on today, if your favorite football team starts getting blown out, you can open your Bible and read this story. Or later in the week, it's a wonderful story, but I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of what happens between chapters 37 and chapters 45. So his brothers are sick and tired of Joseph's arrogance and attitude, and they decide to kill him to kill him off. But this plan for murder then morphs into human trafficking, and instead they sell him into, some, into slavery to some traveling Ishmaelites because, hey, life isn't fair, right? A bloody and shredded robe is all that their father needs to be convinced that his favorite son is dead. And now the brothers get off scot-free, or so they think. Once in Egypt, the Ishmaelites sell him to the captain of Pharaoh's guard, a man named Potiphar. 
And Potiphar puts him to work in the house as a servant. And before long, the Bible says that God blessed everything that Joseph did. And soon, Potiphar promotes him to being in charge of the entire household. In fact, it says that he doesn't have to worry about anything except eating because Joseph handles everything else. The problem is with Mrs. Potiphar. She falsely accuses Joseph of rape after he rebuffs her numerous sexual advances. And though nobody would have known, Joseph still didn't yield to temptation. And for that, he ends up in prison because life isn't fair. And while in prison, Joseph's gift for dream interpretation comes in handy. Two of the king's or the pharaoh's cabinet members uh, get thrown into prison and they have these dreams and they can't figure it out. And Joseph hears them and he interprets them and he gives them God's meaning. And then he says to them, don't forget me when you get back out, when you see the pharaoh again. But of course, they forgot. And Joseph stays another two more years in prison for a crime he didn't commit because Life just isn't fair. Finally, Pharaoh himself has this befuddling dream and word leaks out when no one else can interpret it. Oh, there's this guy in prison that does the dream thing and so he might be able to help you. And sure enough, Joseph gets out of prison. He hears the Pharaoh's dream. He gives this amazing interpretation and the Pharaoh is so moved that he frees Joseph from prison and makes him second in command over all of Egypt. He puts him in charge of a nationwide famine prevention program. And during the next seven years of abundance, Joseph is collecting food from all over the nation and storing it up because the following seven years would be a famine. That's what Pharaoh's dream was. And he was able to take the dream and the insight that he learned and help save an entire nation. Now, Joseph had a lot he could have been bitter about. His brothers had treated him cruelly, he was misunderstood, he had been falsely accused and unjustly imprisoned, he had been repeatedly forgotten and abandoned, left to die. It was almost as if God himself was against Joseph. At least, it may have seemed that way at the time. But God used those many years of pain and frustration to change the heart of this former scrawny little tattletale. And by the time Joseph's brothers make it from Canaan to Egypt, because they heard somehow in the midst of all this famine, Egypt had excess and food to share, Joseph was now a changed man. But of course, they didn't know that Pharaoh's second-in-command was their little brother that they had abandoned so long ago. Now, a lot takes place between chapters 42 and 45, but in the end, all of his brothers, except for his youngest, Benjamin, are back there at his royal residence. And he's been questioning and interrogating them with his entourage and through an interpreter. So they they have no idea that he understands Hebrew when they're speaking it back and forth. Finally, he cannot take it any longer. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed they were at his presence. R.T. Kendall in his book, Total Forgiveness, suggests that Joseph is a wonderful example for us when it comes to learning to forgive people, especially when we have to forgive some of the really hard stuff in our lives. 
the first lesson we can learn from Joseph about forgiveness is to not let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. Whatever hurt or pain you're carrying from the past, don't broadcast it to others. Unless, of course, you're doing it in the confines of a a counseling situation and that person will keep that confidential. Or if it's some kind of illegal or abusive act that has taken place, and by all means, you need to let someone know so that justice can come. But when you're ready for healing and forgiveness, don't be telling others about what someone has done to hurt you. Joseph waited until everyone was out of the room, even the interpreter, before he revealed himself to his brothers. Why? He didn't want anyone to know what they had done to him over two decades earlier. God can be a model for us here. Can you imagine how you'd feel if God suddenly posted on your Facebook account all the things that you've done over the last many years of your life? I mean, personally, even as a pastor, I know there's things in my life I'm not proud of. And and I imagine many of you have things from your past as well. God has forgiven us and doesn't let others know. Why do we feel the need to tell others? Well, again, if it's beyond the therapeutic reasons, it's usually because we still want to punish those who have hurt us. But our divine challenge is to stop that kind of behind-the-back talk, no matter how true it may be. Not to let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. Second, don't allow anyone to be afraid of you or intimidated by you. How did Joseph finally reveal himself to his brothers? Not out of a threatening position of authority. He didn't stand from them high and wag the finger at them. No, it said it was through his tears and his compassion. If someone who knows they've hurt us just freezes in anxiety every time they cross our path, we may think to ourselves, yeah, good, you better freak out because of what you did to hurt me. But that that means we're still having some bitterness in our hearts that we can't let go of. When Joseph saw that his brothers were dismayed, one translation says terrified at his presence. The writer of Genesis says this, verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He didn't want his brothers to be afraid of him. He asked them to come closer because he wanted to relate to them out of love. He could have kept them at a distance. He could have uh, kept them in awe of all that he had accomplished and his position of power and authority within Egypt. But instead, he wanted intimacy. And that's the kind of relationship God and Jesus wants with us as well. 1 John 4.18 reminds us that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And God's perfect love is the love we strive for. And his love for us is can help us let go of the bitterness inside us so that we can begin to let others go when they've hurt us. The third lesson of forgiveness that we can learn from Joseph is that we should want those who have hurt us to forgive themselves and to not feel guilty. Sometimes we say in effect to others who have hurt us, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's the Christian thing to do but I hope you feel really, really bad about what you did. We love to punish people by making them feel guilty, but that shows when we still want to see others punished, it shows our fear. And, And when our fear is gone, then the desire to punish others will go with it. Joseph said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, Because you sold me here. No, God sent me before you to preserve life. 
Joseph wants to ease their minds and say, you may have had one intention, but God made it into something amazing and beautiful. The big challenge for many of us is to let go of the frequently used weapon of guilt tripping that we're so good at. Fourth, Joseph teaches us that we should let those who have hurt us save face. If we want to forgive from the heart, there's little room for self-righteousness. And we're able to forgive precisely because we have already been forgiven so much by God. And we know our past. Not everyone knows what we've been through. And so when we're indignant over someone else's wickedness, says Kendall, there's a real possibility that we're even being, either we're being self-righteous or we're just clueless. We have no objectivity about ourselves. When we truly see ourselves as we are, we'll recognize that we're just as capable of committing any sin as anyone else. It's only by the grace of God that we are here and we are forgiven and we are who we are. Joseph knew his past. He knew that he wasn't the easiest brother to get along with. He had a lot of time in prison to think about what had happened to him over the years. And now when it's time to reveal himself to his brothers, he reminds them again, Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. So he was letting his brothers save face. It wasn't just some polite gesture either. He was telling his brothers the truth. You may have intended to, to harm me, to kill me, but God turned it into something good. God used Joseph's journey to Egypt to do something amazing, and he couldn't even figure it out what God was doing at the time that it happened. It was only with the perspective of time he was able to look back and see, ah, that's what was happening. God was burning away those parts of his life and getting him ready for becoming a new person. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that whenever something bad happens to you, you should already know that it's going to be good. Or that everything that happens to you is good. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says whatever happens to you, God can turn it into something good if you love God and are seeking out his purposes for your life. The question is, do we believe it? And you see, once we start to believe that God can take anything that happens and turn it into something good, then forgiveness becomes a whole lot easier. The fifth lesson we can learn from Joseph is to protect those who have hurt us from their greatest fear. What was Joseph's brother's greatest fear? Well, that they would have to return to their home in Canaan and tell their aged father, who's probably about to die anyway, what they had done 22 years earlier. Their worst nightmare was that their father would discover the truth about what had really happened and that he would know of their treacherous actions so long ago. Joseph knew that forgiveness would be utterly worthless to his brothers if they had to tell the whole truth to the father. So Joseph instructed his brothers exactly what to say and what not to say when they go home. Verse 9, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. 
He goes, he goes on to tell his brothers, let dad know where we're going to settle and how I'll provide for you. And it really is me. It's not a joke. And how honored I am in Egypt. He says nothing about how it is that he's still alive, that he wasn't eaten by wild beasts or sold into slavery by his brothers. None of that is necessary. Kendall says this. Sin that is under the blood of our sovereign Redeemer does not need to be confessed to anyone but God. To hold another person in perpetual fear by threatening, I'm going to tell on you, will quickly bring down the wrath of God. So Joseph protected his brothers from their greatest fear, and that was part of the gift of forgiveness that he gave them. Sixth, committing to forgive someone is a lifelong commitment. It means that we may have to forgive not just once, but over and over again as long as we live. And we may have to do it every day of our lives. Now, we may not have thought of that before. Forgive and move on. But forgiveness isn't always one and done. Sometimes it is. And what a blessing. But there's other times, especially when it comes to the hard stuff, that we may have to willingly each day choose to forgive a person. Because we don't, want to want, we don't want to let their actions continue to have hold on our lives. In our Bible story, the brothers return to Canaan and they bring back the whole clan, including their beloved aged father, uh, Jacob. And by chapter 50, Jacob, uh, who had lived with Joseph, we don't know how many years, he finally reaches the end of his life. And he was under Joseph's care and protection. But now that he's dead, the brothers get a little nervous. And this is where our reading that Sharon read for us today started. Chapter 50, verse 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and, and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we have done to him? So they still haven't let go of their sin and the way that they've wronged their brother. They're worried that he also hasn't truly forgiven them as well. So the brothers make up this phony deathbed story about how their father begged Joseph to forgive the brothers of all the wrongs they've committed to him. Verse 17, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept and fell down before him. And he said, we, they said, we are your slaves. Now, it doesn't say specifically why he wept, but I think Joseph wept because he realized his brothers really didn't believe that he had forgiven them, that they still mistrusted or, or weren't sure that they were good. He could see they lived in the fear that one day he, as the Egyptian prime minister, would use his power to exact vengeance upon them. To summarize, Kendall says, I must never tell what I know, cause my offenders to feel fear, make them feel guilty, hope they'll lose face, or reveal their most devastating secrets, and I must keep this up as long as I live. Finally, we need to pray for our offenders to be blessed. And this can very well be the most difficult part of true forgiveness. And yet, the most like Jesus, Right? Jesus told his disciples, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when Jesus said pray for them, I don't think he meant, uh, Lord, just deal with them, right? Or God, get them back for what they did to me. Or even, <clears throat> Lord, I commend them unto you, right? 
Jesus didn't say pray uh, for or pray about them. He said pray for them. And to pray for someone who has hurt you means to pray that they will be blessed. That God will show favor upon them instead of punishment. That they will prosper in every way. Now, they still may have to face the consequences of their actions. Sure. But that wherever that is and however they're doing that, that their lives may be a blessing to them and to others. This is a lesson I've personally had to learn. Um, someone who I considered to be a very good friend hurt me pretty deeply about 18 years ago. And, and being a pastor and teaching people about forgiveness, I got to the point where I felt like, you know, I'd done a pretty good job of being able to forgive this person because I didn't want to wring their neck whenever I saw them, right? But as I was reading a few years back um, this book by Kendall, I realized I have never even wanted to pray a blessing upon this person. And so uh, I had to start thinking about that and, and asking God to bless this person that had hurt me. And now I've been able to let a whole bunch more go. And I feel that I've been set free from that. But it's hard to do. Kendall gives us this word of caution, though. Once you're able to do that, once you're able to forgive someone and to pray blessing upon them, do not go up to them and say, you know, I have come to completely forgive you. Unless, they've, unless you know they're asking for your forgiveness, because Kendall said most of the time, nine times out of ten, when I've, wanted to, when I've forgiven someone, they didn't even have an idea that they had hurt me. You, you say, I'm forgiven you, and they'll say, for what? Right. What did I do? Why are you upset at me? So he says, God knows. And God can provide that healing. We don't need to tell others that we've forgiven them. Unless, unless they want that. Because the bottom line, friends, is really healing. Most of the time, healing is for those uh, of us who have been hurt. Not necessarily from those who have hurt us. I mean, they may need Forgiveness and healing, but we need to be set free from that. And Kindle said one other thing that caught my interest. He said, the greater the sin we must forgive, the deeper the hurt and pain that has been inflicted upon us by others, the greater the measure of the Holy Spirit that will come to us in our forgiveness. The greater that we have been hurt, the greater God's presence and power will come into our lives. And I know some of us here today have been through some really painful stuff some horrible and traumatic experiences. And although God did not cause them to happen to you, God can still feel your hurt and pain as deep as you have felt that with an equal amount of grace and love and joy and healing. If you've ever come to the point where you've thought, I could never forgive what that person did, it's just too painful, you have a unique opportunity to experience what others may never get to experience. You have the opportunity to receive God's power and spirit in an equal, equally powerful and tangible way as you forgive. Because when we forgive, we love. And when we love, not only does God's light shine upon us, but God sends us a peace that passes all understanding. God desires that we live in health and wholeness, my friends. Vengeance, bitterness, and resentment do not lead to healing. Do not allow what someone did to you so long ago continue to have influence on your life. Let it go. The hard stuff especially needs to be forgiven. And sometimes it's only by the grace of God that we're able to do that. 
So trust that the Lord will work you through that. Next week, we'll look at what the future holds when in a relationship we've released a forgiveness. Do we, do we forgive and forget? Do we go back to things being exactly the same way they were? Do we put ourselves in places where we can be hurt by others again? Or are there other options? But in the meantime, we got enough homework this week, don't you think? Yes. May God continue to work on our hearts as we journey together to being a people of forgiveness. Amen. Amen.